This is Passport to Everywhere, an incredible worldwide journey as your host, Melissa Biggs Bradley, transports you to dream destinations, introduces you to extraordinary guests from all over the world, showcases the current state of travel, shares valuable insights, takes you behind the scenes at some of the most iconic hotels, and explores the future of travel. This is your your Passport to Everywhere. I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest, a genuine, authentic, fun-loving, and fascinating pioneer in the health and wellness space. Katerina, or Kat, as I call her, and many do, Hedberg. Growing up in Sweden, Kat loved spending time outdoors, walking, skiing, and hiking in the forest. Her appreciation for nature and her belief in its healing powers led her to eventually co-create California's iconic health resort, the ashram, with her friend, the late Dr. Anne-Marie Benstrom. The ashram is a place like nowhere else in the world. It's arguably the first boot camp to exist in the health and wellness space. Her revolutionary concept officially launched in the hills of Calabasas in 1974, well before today's fascination with health and wellness was popularized. Retreats that solely focused on health and wellness were few and far between at that time. Almost 50 years later, the ashram has welcomed everybody from soul seekers to fitness enthusiasts, plus many returning CEOs and A-list celebrity guests, from Cindy Crawford to Gwyneth Paltrow. It has become known as a boot camp for movie stars and billionaires. People who look to visit the ashram do so for a number of reasons. Perhaps they're going through a hard time, suffering loss or feeling stuck, or maybe they're looking to ignite a change or hoping to be inspired. And yes, sometimes they want to lose weight and get fit in a real hurry. The reasons are endless, and everybody's result is different. Once on property, though, guests all stay in a small ranch-style house and follow a strict program, incorporating morning yoga, long hikes across the Santa Monica Mountains, daily massages, and farm-to-table vegetarian meals. In a world of chaos and constant change, the ashram's mission is to allow guests to reconnect with oneself, nature, and one another. It's rustic, it's simple, it's tough, and with only 12 spots per week, no exceptions, it's exclusive, really exclusive. For more than 30 years, it has been one of the toughest accommodations in the world to book. But the opportunity, not just to truly disconnect, but more importantly, to actually reconnect with yourself in a deep way is for many of us the greatest luxury of all. The ashram continues to evolve as our world does. Kat published her first ashram cookbook called The Way We Eat in 2018 with Asseline. So now you can try some of the recipes as I have at home. And she's now offering seasonal retreats in Iceland, Mallorca, and on the Camino de Santiago, as well as soon in Japan. The magic of the ashram calls many guests back year after year, and there are even some who have done the program over 50 times. I'm excited to welcome Kat, who is not just a woman I admire deeply, but one I consider a friend. Explore the future of travel with Melissa Biggs Bradley on Passport to Everywhere, streaming now on all podcast platforms. And for more on Melissa's work, follow Indigari Travel on Instagram. You're listening to Passport to Everywhere. Here's your host, Melissa Biggs-Bradley. You're listening to today's conversation about the ashram with Kat Hedberg. Thank you again for joining me. I'm, I'm super excited to have you on because to me, the ashram represents something that is so unique and special in the world and the kind of experience that more and more people need where I, you know, you've heard me talk about travel as a transformation, but you really managed to transform things. And you are now in your 50th year of the ashram. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's amazing. But will you tell listeners how it all began, how the ashram came about for you? Yeah, well, you know, it was a crazy wild idea, 1974. Um, I have a business partner and unfortunately she has passed away, but she is also, was also Swedish. And here we are two Swedish crazy outrageous 
women who comes from a background of total health, right? And here we are and we said, we got to do something with Americans who at that time were not in the early 70s in shape at all. No one was in shape. No one had heard about any physical activity, um, no hikings, no yoga, no anything like that. And we said, let's take a handful of people not more than maybe 10, 12 people and do it right. Do it with simple measures like, um, you know, physical activity, vegetarian food, yoga, breathing, meditation, and let's see how it goes. Well, it was not easy the first year because people thought that we were absolutely crazy to do something like that. And I always take this story that I think is so funny that um, uh, there was an editor of a very big magazine, very famous magazine that came up to the ashram for one day just to see what was going on up there. She had heard that a little bit. And mind you, we weren't at all well known in those days. And she kind of went through a day and she said to me, Kat, I cannot write about you. You are too outrageous. This will never, ever work. You hike people, you do yoga with people, you do breathing exercises, you do meditation, and you feed them vegetarian food. It will never work. I can't write about you. And she didn't. Then two years later, when every star in the book is coming, because we're the only place where they can go in between their movies and lose weight, right? She came back and she said, Kat, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Can I, can I write about you? And I said, no. But <laughs> actually, I let her do it. So we got six pages in this big magazine, and I think that put us on the map. But to start with, this was a very foreign concept. But, you know, I'm Swedish. I like challenges. And it was. Well, and it was for, a lot of challenges for a long time, I must say. <laughs> but interestingly, you know, you talked about growing up in Sweden and you had yeah. a very healthy life in Sweden. So what was foreign, in a way, was the land you landed in, America. America at the time was a place where... Everybody was smoking cigarettes and drinking diet soda and eating fried food and not thinking about nutrition or health. But but that wasn't the case the way you grew up. So talk a little bit about what it was like coming from Sweden and how you, you grew up and how ingrained all of these principles that are still true to the ashram were to your childhood and then bringing them to the States. Well, you know... Uh... The ashram is simple. It's like Ikea furniture, right? It is simple. <laughs> I grew up simply, and simply in the sense of what we were doing. We skied to school, all of us. We bicycled school, and I lived in a big city. Didn't matter. We still skied and bicycled, and every weekend we were out with our parents in the forest and picking mushrooms and berries and and, you know, it was simple pleasures in those days. And I think it it made me, you know, have a, very, a foundation of very much uh, of a strong foundation because nature, when you are in nature, you know how it feeds you. It is, um, it's like life force, energy. And again, you know, now we're talking around 1945, around there when I was born. And then after that, nature was pretty untouched. And in Sweden, it was clean water and the rivers. And we swam in the lakes. And in the in the winters, we skated on the frozen lakes. You know, it was all turned into or tuned into nature when we had the time to do it. And of course, you know, we are a country or were a country then more than so now of preventive medicine in a sense. Uh, so it was poultices if you had something wrong of uh, castor oil and it was herbs and it was nettle soups that we picked. And, 
you know, so you grew up with a very healthy uh, foundation, I must say, you know, uh, that that is what started the ashram. Let's take these simple ingredients of eating uh, fruits and nuts and greens and grains, lots of water and move the body, simple. And, and I think that's where it came from, it, you know, the Swedish foundation. And how did you end up in California in the first place? And what did you think when you got there? Well, I'm, I'm a, I was always someone that wanted to get out of Sweden as soon as I could. So I remember I took my college exam at 12 and at three I was out on the plane to Spain. And my poor mother had to pack up everything in my apartment. But I always wanted adventure. I always wanted to out and, and, and travel. So I knew I was going to come to America. And I had read, read about this woman, Anne-Marie Benstrom, who was a firecracker and a, a way ahead of her time in when it came to health. She was a lot on TV with, in the, those days, Merv Griffin and doing exercises with pillows and pots and pans and all of those things. And I read about her and I said, OK, with my good ideas about health and her good ideas about health, maybe we can do something. So that's how I came over here to California with a lot of um, difficulty to get into the country, of course, because I was a wild young thing and they think I was going to work, which was right. So they didn't let me in, but finally they did. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I love America. I love to work with Americans because Americans are like children. They are ready for anything. You tell them, let's do this. And it's, yes, let's do this. You know, there is no resistance. It's a little tougher to work with, with the Scandinavian Northern people because they need proof on everything. Okay, if we go and doing this, what's the proof that it's going to help us, right? So it's a little different, but Americans, I love it. <laughs> Just love them. <laughs> and and the ashram is it's as you said it's about health it's not just about fitness a lot of people are intimidated myself included about the idea of okay you have to go to the ashram you're giving up sugar and caffeine alcohol and red meat and you hike for a certain number of miles every day can you walk us through a day what what is it like at the ashram well, you know, what the ashram has, uh, in answer to your question, what the ashram has been, are, is famous for is that we take care of the individual. We made a very conscious choice in the beginning only to take 12 people, not more, uh, not opening 60 places in America. We wanted to just take a few people that we can deal with on an individual basis because everyone is an individual everyone has their own needs everyone has their own health right so um yes i do you're we're vegan at the ashram except a few eggs so we can't call ourselves vegan but everything else is but you know I don't believe that everyone should be a vegetarian. It is not good. We have to be conscious enough to see what makes us tick, what makes us feel the best. Now, a week away from wheat and sugar and caffeine and alcohol, all of those things, it's yeah. not a bad idea. You know, clean out the body. It's nothing wrong to have a cup of coffee. Not at the ashram, but when you come home, it's if you do too much, right? If we do 10 cups of coffee, I have a guy at the ashram that's on three liters of Diet Coke a day. I've never heard about it. And we have to treat him in a different way than we treat the one that's a stuntman and runs with a weight vest up the mountain right yeah. now. So, you know, again, there is a... No, no one has to be worried about coming to the ashram because of the individual yeah. attention that we have chosen. The staff is all coming from their heart. I only hire through that method. I don't hire through um, any uh, resumes. 
I hire through where are they coming from? Because if you come from the heart, that's something you can't teach anyone. You can teach them the rest, but you know, everyone on the staff from maintenance to massages to uh, instructors, they only coming from that place. So that makes a difference in, in the setup of the ashram. Well, and I think as you've said to me before, you're treating not just the body, which the, those elements of elimination certainly help you understand your body. And and frankly, I, it was when I gave up caffeine for a week, yeah. I actually realized when I went back to it that I don't like the way I respond on caffeine. So I have eliminated caffeine from my diet because it's not good for me. It's just, it's not good for me. Like to your point, it's personal. It's very personal. Yes. I'm already very energetic. I don't need to add more fuel to it. It makes me jittery, but I would never have discovered that if I hadn't had one week where I didn't have it at all. But you're absolutely right. But you focus on not just the body. It's also the mind and the soul. And that's where the heart comes in. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that at work? Uh, someone comes, shows up for a week, and you know we're all dealing with all sorts of things that put us off yes. balance. But but how does yeah. the program impact their mind and their soul? Well, I think the program in itself does it because it has the ingredients of the everyone going out in nature. And as I said, nature is very feeding, right? Hug a tree and you're fine. And when they walk up these hills, a lot of emotions comes out. And here again, the instructors are trained enough to take care of every emotional outbreak. And, you know, we had one woman take a big uh, diamond ring on top of a mountain and throw it off the mountain because she was going to have a divorce. And I don't know the instructors who was, you know, running down the mountain to get that one. (laughs) But so... A lot of emotional release happens on those hikes. And then, of course, you know, we do a lot of yoga. We do yoga in the morning. We do an hour and a half yoga in the evening, which is also the meditation and breathing exercises. We forgot to breathe. You know, we're very shallow breath. So we teach very simple things. It's nothing that is advanced. Anyone, anyone that haven't even done yoga can go in there. And, you know, through all of this, people get emotional releases and they start to get back to themselves. And that is what we want. We want to see people become whole again. And if they just, it's amazing to me, Melissa, it's amazing. After all these years, what I see happens between Sunday when they come in and Saturday they go out, they are transformed people. And it just tells me how intelligent the body, mind and soul is if you just give it the right environment and the right ingredients, you can put yourself back together again. Yeah, it's and amazing. that is very inspiring to me. It's amazing. You know, we talked about how the culture has changed in the past 50 years and and America has become, or Americans have become much more aware about the value of nutrition and health and and yoga and certain things. It's not that we're we're all leading the lives perfectly that we should, but we're more aware of it. How have you witnessed the change in your guests and in terms of what it is they're seeking? Do you see people needing different things today than they did in the past? Yes. You know, in the 70s and in the 80s and the 90s, it was always the question when someone booked in, because we talk to everyone that books in, because the ashram is not for everyone. You have to have an open mind in a sense and really wanting to get some results. So in the beginning, the question always was, how much weight can I lose? Can you guarantee me 10 pounds? You know, all of that. We never hear that anymore. In the 90s, it started to change a little bit. And now, especially after COVID, it has changed a lot where people says, I want to go back to myself. I want a reset. I want uh, to, to start connecting with myself again. 
And it's very interesting. And you have seen that even in exercise culture, right? In the 70s, 80s, it was raw, raw, tour, heavy music, which we actually brought from Sweden and we did it. And a couple of people picked it up and made a business out of it. But, you know, that was very popular then. But then you see now it's more people are drawn to yoga. They are drawn to Pilates. And, and it's more of a gentle approach to staying in shape. So even at the ashram, we have to up the yoga and the meditation part. Yes, we do the hikes. That's the most important that we do. But we have changed it a little bit. You know, talking about that, I'm sorry, but I'm going to talk about this, this Ozempic situation. Yes. And, you know, I can't fight it. So I have to be uh, supportive of it at the ashram because people don't tell you, but you can see it because you see who is on it. It's a look. And, uh, but the worst thing is, that maybe they do not know that three quarters of the fat that they lose is muscle mass. And one quarter of the fat is the fat. So here we have three quarter of the muscle mass. That's why the face uh, drops or they have to have injections, you know. But so I will, I know who is on it at the ashram. Unfortunately, that medication doesn't have to be refrigerated. So, you know, it can be hidden in a sense, but we know who is on it or not because here comes someone that has been very strong in the past and just going up the mountain, like, no, they cannot get up the mountain. So, and when did you start seeing this cat? How recently and how often are you seeing it? I don't see it too often. I see every week, yes. But not the whole group. But you you don't even know. But seriously, someone almost oh, every week. This is serious, yes. Wow. But, you know, so I have to be supportive of these people. And the way I'm supportive is that we have to get the muscles to fire again. And we have to do it with gentle weightlifting for example gentle the other ones that are in good shape we give it to them right but here we have to do the gentle thing we have to do the gentle hikes we have to tell them to drink more the water than they usually do so that that is one component so we have to treat them gentle and i have no problem doing this because i have seen many things through the years that people take to lose weight, but this is a little uh, intense, this one. Wow, that's uh, amazing. You know, people have to do what they have to do, right? I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to tell anyone to do and not do something, but I need to be supportive of the ones that are on this, coming to the ashram, and they should come to the ashram because, you know, you get thin, so you feel great in your clothes, and now everything is okay, but underneath the clothes, the muscles are falling apart. So we need to get people like that moving gently again. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's just a little side thing that, you know, I want people to be aware of two things, the muscle that's being lost, but also that we're very happy to, to help everyone. Yeah. And and I would imagine you mentioned that you do more of the gentler works, more work, I, I get, imagine, with yoga, meditation and breath yes. work. Yes. Um, so yes. describe yes. a typical day at the ashram. What what does it look well, like? You, what should yeah. someone expect when they sign up? First, they have they, a conversation with you or someone on your team before they even can yeah, sign they, up. Exactly. I, I talk to everyone individually. So, you know, everyone that comes to the ashram knows what it is now. Way back when they didn't, because it was a shock, the whole thing. <laughs> but now they know, they know because the way we get guests is mostly through um, word of um, recommendation, yeah. right? Or guests and, and of course, 70% of our guests are returnees every week. So there is a lot of that. So um, I have a private interview with them 
and kind of see how they are doing and what has happened and how the body is, anything we need to know, what medication they are on. Oh, God, everyone is on medication. What can we do? But that's the way it goes right now. You know, sooner or later, maybe we can get away from it. But right now, that's what it is. So we learn how to work with that, too. And then we have in the morning, they go up and they have a one-hour yoga. And then they have breakfast and then they go out for the hike. And the hike is different, again, individually so, depending on what they can do. It can be up to 12, 13 miles in a day, but not for everyone. If you have bad knees, if you have a bad back, if you, uh, you know, after COVID, we are seeing a lot of lungs that haven't gotten back to their full capacity. So, you know, again, it's an individual journey and we can handle it. So then they come back from the hike and, of course, they have a snack out there, uh, three almonds and two prunes. And <laughs> and then, you know, some watermelon maybe or fruit in season. And then they come back and they have lunch and then they have a little rest hour. Then the massage starts and you have a one-hour massage every day. Then we have pool class and pool volleyball. Pool volleyball, we invented 1974, a net over the pool, and we built the pool to be able to do it. And it's probably the most fun that they have. You know, it's light balls, and they are just laughing and having fun. Women, men, everything. It's just a crazy, uh, wonderful, where, where they become children again. You know, it's just fun. Lots of laughter. We got to laugh. <laughs> As the best medicine is laughter. It is the best medicine. And uh, then they have an exercise class in the gym. And then it's yoga, an hour and a half yoga, meditation, breathing. And then they have dinner and an evening program. And then it's time to pass out, right? <laughs> so this is kind of what a program would would be during a day. But again, it's individualized, you know, everyone can't do it. What I've seen is, you know, people are not allowed to use their uh, electronics more than in their rooms. And sometimes I see people go in and just as a relaxer in their rooms, go on their electronics. But, you know, we try to discourage that. And and some of them want me to um, lock it up and we do that. Because the ashram is, you know, another change, Melissa, that we have done in the old days, we used, to, we used to weigh and measure everyone, right? Everyone wanted to get weighed and measured. These days, I'm telling them, no, the ashram, we're going, you know, we're raising the bar on the ashram. It's not about the numbers where you come in and you go out. It's not about that. It's about how do you feel in your body? How... Is it that you can get the most out of this program without thinking about the numbers? You are going to lose. That's no problem at all. Inches, weight, yes, you are going to lose if that's what you want to do here. We have a lot of people that come and don't want to lose, so we give them extra food, of course. But but think about how do we feel? How do we connect with our own selves? And it's a whole different consciousness. And... Uh, I'm on it with everyone. If someone wants to weigh and measure, of course we do it. But 99.9%, we're not doing it anymore. And that is a, a big change. I love that you do that because I went to one of your competitors years ago and yeah. they insisted on the weighing and the measuring, even though I didn't want to lose any weight, I didn't want to lose any inches. And after the program, I, I got a report card because and I failed my vacation because I didn't go to the yeah. evening aerobics class because I had been hiking all day and I didn't go for my measuring and I I mean I I couldn't believe I failed my vacation and it wasn't my okay. terms so so I I think you're right you got to put people in the right frame of mind about what health is and it yeah. isn't about weights and inches it's it's, it's about also in the, it's also individual you know we have i come back to that the whole time we have to treat the individual as an individual everyone has different needs 
You don't need to lose. You, you shouldn't fail your vacation. But, you know, there is a different place for every person these days. Our program has been taken and the competitor you're talking about, yes, they took our program. But, you know, our program is out there. Let's let's yeah. face it, because it works. But the thing that can never take from us is the soul of the ashram. Yeah. They can never take it because you step in through those doors and you feel the warmth and the caring and the heart energy that has been put there for all these years and you cannot copy it. So there we have it. That's us. <laughs> and that and that's why you have so many people who go back over and over again. Yeah, it's um, like coming home, you yeah. know. But you've uh, also, you know, one of the things that you brought that was very innovative that many people have copied as well, is the whole concept of the farm-to-table food and really eating whole foods as purely as you can. You did a great cookbook on those, on yeah. some of your recipes. But why do you think that the the sort of vegetarian food and mindful eating is such a crucial part of the program? I mean, I do think it helps reset people as they go back out into the world. Yeah, again, you know, like I said, I don't think that vegetarian is great for everyone, but maybe it opens the curiosity and, the, you know, you we create habits, right? And we just hope that a little bit of what we do at the ashram, whether it is going off coffee, uh, cutting down on alcohol, definitely getting off diet drinks, aspartame, which we absolutely give lectures about, uh, or start to order a salad instead of the potato when you go out. So if that is just the little things that happens from our program, then I'm happy. We can't do a whole you know, menu change on people. We can at the ashram to clean the body out, yes. But then the mindful eating, you know, that is also something. I think it's more mindful in all directions in the sense like read the labels. What about water? Do we drink water out of plastic bottles that have been standing in the sun? No. Do we get enough sleep? Do we get enough rest? Do we think about how we feel? Do we feel fine? Yes, that's not good enough. We have to thrive. What makes us thrive? Is it we're eating sugar? How do we feel after that? We don't feel good. How do we feel after we're drinking too much alcohol? We don't feel good. So it's more of a mindful consciousness in all areas to be able to connect back to yourself. Yeah. I thrive, we're supposed to do, not just feeling fine. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I remember first learning about what they would call toxic Tuesdays at the ashram for those people mm. who drank sodas and diet sodas. And yeah. when they went off on by on Sunday, it was by Tuesday, right, that they were getting na yes. nauseated. Yes, yes, yes. And, yes. and the amazing thing is now, finally, there's all this research that's coming out about aspartame. I mean, you you knew yes. it years ago. Yes, yes, yes. We knew it. But, you know, it made too much money to kind of let the truth out, so to say. You're listening to today's conversation about the ashram, a retreat that's welcomed celebrities like Oprah, Cindy Crawford, Barbara Streisand, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Stay tuned for more insider stories from the founder, Kat Hedberg, as we discuss the future of wellness and tourism. Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley will continue. Listen to new episodes Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Sirius XM Business Radio Channel 132. Experience life without borders. You're listening to Passport, Passport to, to Everywhere. Everywhere. Here's your host, Melissa Biggs Bradley. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Kat Hedberg about California's iconic health retreat, The Ashram. And if you're enjoying this episode, subscribe to Indigari's newsletter, where we share the latest on travel trends around the world at Indigari.com. So you do the ashram most of the time in California, 
but you yes. also have taken seasonal retreats like you've yes. taken them to uh, Mallorca for many years. Can you talk a little bit about those and, and where you go and why you chose those destinations? Yeah, so California is the heart. And then the other ones are the branches. I think that it's a selfish proposition for me because I love to travel so much. So I have to open some places out there where it's fun for me to go, right? <laughs> but it's also for the staff because the staff has been with me for so long that I give these places for the staff to run, like someone out of my staff is running the Mallorca program so they can call something their own and they can take their family and I get the house and, you know, I get everything for them and they run it so well. So that's the other part of that. All our programs, and right now we have the Mallorca in Spain, we have the Camino de Santiago in Spain, we have Iceland, and all of the programs are the same, yoga in the morning, out, 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 pool, uh, exercise, and yoga. And, and so wherever we go, this is what we do, right? But what I try to do is to, of course, they are in a different location. So it's different environment. You know, when you come to a different country, you got to introduce what that country represents. So in uh, Mallorca, for example, we still vegetarian food, but we have um, guitar players playing um, Spanish you know, flamenco music <laughs> and the water is warm. So we do kayaking there. And one day we take a boat and we go up the beautiful coast of Mallorca and drop the guests on the uh, beach. And they walk back and the snack that day is in an orange grove with freshly squeezed orange juice, you know. So we're getting the culture in although the program is the same in iceland where of course in my viking craziness i have to choose the absolutely most remote location on the east coast of iceland where no one goes right so there i am and there they get introduced to a storyteller that tells about the Icelandic culture with the hidden people and the trolls and the, you know, fairies. And it's very much involved in the Icelandic sagas, right? And there they go up the mountains and the water is so fresh. They drink out of the waterfalls and fill up their canteens from the waterfalls. And all of a sudden you're at the hot spring right there on the trail and you jump in the hot water and next to it is a cold river and they jump in the cold river. Things like this, you know, this is what the country represents. I'm never going to go anywhere where there is a lot of people and tourists. I, I won't do that. I just need to do these adventurous things. It should call the ashram adventure, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. And are you doing any special ones for the 50th anniversary? It's a good question, yes. You know, we have the program in, um, in the northern part of Spain, which is the pilgrimage Camino de Santiago, which is a very popular walk. I walked it a couple of years ago and it's it was the whole thing is 500 miles so I did the 500 miles and then I said there are no Americans on this trail I got to open a program so we opened a program that is now eight days eight nights I just did, did part it? of it not the whole 500 but which section you, do you walk you did yes oh good for you yeah we're doing we were doing the French way for many years that is the most common one and i knew it was going to be a lot of pilgrims when i walked it there wasn't but i knew it was going to be a lot of pilgrims from all over the world so we then laid down the northern route which is starts up in the galicia in the northern part of spain and then drops down to and there to to santiago and there is no pilgrims almost at all there and now next year because of our 50th we're starting the Portuguese route. We have laid down the Portuguese up the coast of Portugal. Portugal becomes so popular that this particular program was sold out before we even had 
done it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that so, I did was the Portuguese but, one. Yeah, it's beautiful. But the, the big one we're doing is we're doing, there is a pilgrimage in Japan that's called Kumano Kodo. And it's not known over here, but of course it's known there because all the, you know, kings and queens and uh, dignitaries have been walked or carried through this particular walk. And we are doing, it starts in the south of Osaka and Tanabe, and it goes up to Koyosan. And Koyosan is the city of temples. And we're staying in Ryokan with onsens from one from another. It will be an amazing, amazing journey for anyone that's interested in, in that. It's, it's a little tougher of a, a pilgrimage. And you know, the interesting part is, Melissa, Camino de Santiago is a, a UNESCO heritage site, right? Yep. Kumano is a heritage site, and they are the only two pilgrimages that are um, sister pilgrimage. So if you have a certificate from Camino de Santiago and one from Kumano you have dual uh, pilgrimage passport, and that's kind of unheard of. So we're doing something different. Wow, that's exciting. And when will you do Japan, and how long will that trek be? It's eight dates, eight nights. We will probably the first year, and it will be November, not this year, but next year. We will probably take two or three groups the first year, and then we see. Wow, super exciting. Like one year at a time. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how do you stay healthy when you're traveling? What do you think some of the keys to being healthy while you're traveling and changing time zones and being on airplanes? How does it work for you? Well, it, that's a good question. You know, I'm a little different there because I don't change much. I drink my water and my, you know, I don't take anything. I'm, I don't take any homeopathics. I don't take anything. And to tell you the truth, when I travel, I tell myself, I don't have time for jet lag. I have so people to see, places to go, you know, and I don't have time for it. So I have... Um, not for any other reason than on my curiosity of where I'm going, right? So I think that I have such a positive attitude towards where I'm going. And my curiosity is so strong to meet new people and culture and, and environment that I, I think I stay healthy and great because of that. I don't have any tricks in the book of how you don't get jet lag and all of that. That's enough of those methods out there. I just keep on going and loving every minute of it. I love that. Okay. So where do you see the future of wellness tourism going? Are there things that you anticipate or things that you think are going to change? I think it's just going to be more and more, Melissa. More and more, you know, 1969, I took people from the Nordic countries down to the Canary Islands and to Spain and exercised them, hiked them, run in the water. This is 1969. And run them in the water and did yoga and did all these things. And it became so amazingly popular that there was... Uh, programs like that we set up all over Spain and then it kind of then I moved to America but then it kind of mellowed out right now it's coming especially after COVID people want to be healthy they want to get out of their bubbles and they want to travel and you know a year or so ago we saw a lot of fear in people because they were used to their little bubble and i don't know if you noticed this and then they come out because their minds wants to be out there but they are not quite ready for it because the fear and ptsd from all of this it's still there. So there was a lot of emotional situations when they once came out of the bubble to another culture, right? So one had to deal with that a lot. But uh, now this year, the whole, you know, the whole Europe is full of, of America. Everyone is traveling. 
Yeah. Everyone. And I love the idea. And people want to stay healthy. You know, I have to open more programs. They want to go out and stay healthy. <laughs> and why do you think it is? I totally agree with you, Kat. But why do you think it is that sometimes traveling to other places really allows us to reconnect with ourselves again? It's like we have to leave home to find ourselves. Yes, yes. But you know, I think it is because you take a breath, right? You're you're away from the murk and the Maya that you deal with when you're on the home base there is always things that have to be dealt with but when you are outside of the home base it doesn't matter how far you go but you get another view right you have a chance you feel freer to start with right you're freer and then you have a chance to meet new people and new environments and and it's interesting and i see i think that people then reconnect with themselves quite a lot they say wow yeah this is me you know i i hear this sentence a lot i used to i used to people come in and say i used to work out i used to travel i used to do that no 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 no. we're not used to we're doing it and that's what people are are you know slowly dipping their toes in the water now because it makes them feel good to do something different than sitting in the bubble. Yeah, no, you're exactly so right. I think when they travel and congratulations to you and your program, I highly so because it's a well-run, safe situation to travel within. Yeah, well, we, we both are trying this have the same mission, right? We want to get people to get same out and, and find yeah. their best version of themselves. So, yes. Kat, if you had to say your greatest gift that travel has given you, what would you say that was? Joy. Joy. You know, I love it. I live in the present very much. So I'm alive wherever I am. I'm grateful for my present. I'm grateful for being here. I'm grateful for, for being healthy. I'm grateful for a life that I have created that I can travel because it's such a passion for me. I'm grateful for all of that. And when I'm in another situation, I'm still in the present, you know, I never really go back. Let's say I go to Bhutan. I do Bhutan 100% because I'm not going to go back because there are so many other places that I want to check out, right? So I think that's what makes me alive. But I tell you what, the most amazing thing where I must say I can feel that I'm alive, I'm going on an airplane, I'm sitting down in the seat, I'm settling down, and when that flight goes out on the tarmac and takes off, I have the biggest smile you can ever think about in my, my face. <laughs> that one I know, that's pure joy in that moment. <laughs> that's amazing. And are there places, Kat, where you still are dying to get to? What's on your bucket list? Every, well, I don't have bucket lists. <laughs> I don't believe in bucket lists. I don't like to plan things. You know, if something comes up, I work a lot with universal forces. If something comes up and everything is in order, I go. Whatever it is, you know. So I don't work with bucket lists. Just get me a plane, show me a place, and I go. <laughs> I love it. One last question, Kat. Yes. Can you think of, I'm fascinated by the idea of how people on the road open themselves up and to strangers more. And I'm curious yes. about examples of random acts of kindness that you may have experienced while you were on the road or perhaps something, you know, in the past that where, you know, somebody... I'll give you an example. When I was on the Camino a couple of weeks ago, I was walking with one of the ladies. And of course, we were in the present moment, so in the present moment that yes. we lost 
the signs and we realized that we didn't know where which direction the Camino was. And there was a man who didn't speak any English. We didn't speak any Spanish or Portuguese, but he knew exactly what we were looking for and and that we were lost. And he, he basically walked us to the spot where we needed to go to get back on the way. And it it was one of those things where I think so often we get to witness the 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 kindness of strangers when we're traveling. And and I'm curious if you have thoughts about or examples from your past travels. Yeah, no, I I can't come up with any specifics because what I am trying to do when I'm out there in other countries as well as here is to be very loving in all situation. And I think that bounces back, you know, good, positive energy creates positive energy, negative energy creates negative energy. So I think, you know, uh, when you're out there and you're in a positive space, I think um, positive things will come to us. I don't know any specific like yours right now, but I'm sure this has happened a lot. And I, I, I'm just grateful when things like that happens because it does happen. But again, you know, you feel the energy from a person, right? If you had been angry at that moment and, and, and not in a good space, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So I think we all have to try to stay in a positive, positive space as much as we can. No, I think you're exactly right. It is. It, it, and that's often maybe why these things happen when people are traveling, because people yes. have their guards down. They are more loving. They are more open. Yes. And yes. that's Absolutely. when they've created the space for those things to happen for them. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kat. I love being with you. And I really, I cannot wait until you and I can walk together. Oh, that's going to be the day. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) Thank you, Kat. Take care. I send you a big hug. Much love. Thank you so much for tuning in to learn more about the ashram with the legendary Kat Hedberg. I hope Kat inspired you as much as she did me in this episode. Next week, I'll be speaking with a revolutionary maternity fashion designer, Liz Lang, about her fascinating career. We'll discuss our favorite hotels around the world, as well as the latest trends in fashion and travel, and the brand that she is reinvigorating that is inspired by and made for stylish travelers. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to our Indigari newsletter for more of the latest news and insider tips. See you next week. Continues next week. Find more episodes of Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley streaming now on all podcast platforms and anytime on the SXM app. Follow Melissa on Instagram at, at Indigari Founder. And for more on Melissa, head to Indigari.com. I N D A G A R E. Send us your questions about travel, passport at SiriusXM.com or call us at 646 535 7297. This has been Passport to Everywhere. everywhere.